I'm reminded of what a tremendous privilege it is when every Sunday we say, open up your Bibles. That there are people, maybe not in recent history, but throughout history, who've given their lives so that every day, but including on a Sunday morning, we can say, open up the Bible. Let's look at it together. Let's read it in our own language. And that's exactly what you can do. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open up to Luke 23, 44 through 46. That's where we're going to be as we close out our series, looking at the last seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. In, uh, in 2019, a book came out that would become a national bestseller. And it was a book simply titled, The Body, A Guide for Occupants. And in this book, the, the author proceeded to go through almost every single part of the human body in order to show just how incredible and amazing the bodies are that we've been given. From our brains, to our eyes, to our noses, to our mouths, to our heads, shoulders, knees, and toes, to our skin, to our lungs, heart, digestive system, and everything else in between. And, and it's interesting because the, the book is written by someone who's not a Christian, but if you read the book as a Christian, it can't help but lead you to worship at times the God who's made our bodies so incredibly well. In fact, in, in the first chapter, the author Bill Bryson says this about the body. He says, the body is often likened to a machine, but it is so much more than that. It works 24 hours a day for decades without, for the most part, needing regular servicing or the installation of spare parts. It runs on water and a few organic compounds, is soft and rather lovely, is accommodatingly mobile and pliant, reproduces itself with enthusiasm, makes jokes, feels affection, appreciates a red sunset and a cooling breeze. How many machines do you know that can do any of that? There is no question about it. You are truly a wonder. I mean, it, it almost sounds like he's getting ready to quote Psalm 139 there. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so he goes through all these chapters, drawing out how incredible the body is. And then in the final chapter, it's literally titled, The End. And in the last sentence of the last chapter, as he wraps up talking about how we die, he concludes with this sentence. And that's you gone. But it was good while it lasted, wasn't it? Whether you agree with his conclusion or not, he hits on a simple but profound truth. Every single one of us will ultimately die. That, that the death rate across the board is 100%. No one escapes it. And, and I s sit under, we sit under the, the weight of that this morning, realizing that there are probably people in here, maybe even myself included, that won't be here next year because we won't be alive anymore. I mean, that, that's a heavy reality to sit under. And I think that's part of why oftentimes we try to simply keep death at a distance 
Like, no, no one ultimately believes we won't die. Everyone knows in the back of their minds, yes, death is one day coming for me. But, but we try to, I think, often push it away as far as we can and, and pretend like it won't happen. Because we feel like if it gets brought out in the open, it, it ruins everything, maybe. I think of if you've ever played hide-and-seek with a toddler, you know, you ultimately have to pretend that you don't see them because they're right out in the open. And so you walk into a room and they're simply right behind a chair and you see them and you have to walk around saying, well, is he in the ceiling? Is he in the cupboards? Oh no, you're right behind the chair. I didn't even see you. Because if you don't pretend, the game ends up no longer being any fun. I think, is, is that what we have to do with death? That for most of our lives, we just have to pretend like it's out there and not going to happen. And that if we bring it out in the open, it's just too overwhelming or, or, or too sad, and it, it ends up ruining life. This morning, we're going to look at the last, last saying of Jesus, what appears to be the final sentence of the final chapter of his life. And as we do, we're going to bring death out into the open, and we're going to look at it through his eyes as he takes his last breath and dies. But rather than it simply being overwhelming or sad, I think as we look at death through Jesus' eyes, we can actually find the confidence and hope to both live and die well. That's the big point as we look at Jesus' death this morning. Jesus' death gives us the confidence to live and die well. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll read Luke 23, 44 through 46. God, I pray over us what we sung already this morning. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone, that we belong to you and to no other, and that you hold us through whatever comes our way in life and through whatever happens as we die. God, I pray this morning that what might feel heavy at times would, as a result of Christ, feel hopeful. God, only you can do that. And so I pray that you would speak this morning as we look at these last words of Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 23, starting in verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. As, as we've looked at these last seven sayings of Jesus, we've seen one thing over and over again, or at least I hope we've seen it over and over again, that Jesus is acting as our substitute, that, that he's doing something. 
like Joel said last week, accomplishing the greatest work in history, the work of salvation, so that we don't have to do it by trusting in him and we can rest in him. That, that he's facing something, God's wrath, punishment for sin, so that by faith in him, we never have to face that. But when we come to the end of Jesus' life, we find him facing something that all of us will one day face as well. He says his last words. He takes his final breath, and then he dies. And the exact same event will happen to all of us in the next 80 years, unless Christ returns first. And this morning, this is what I hope we can all do. That we can look out and for just a little bit, realize the same moment that Jesus faced is one day coming for me. That same moment is coming for me. That we might think about our death, not the death of anyone else's, our death. And as we think about that and see Jesus dying, that we might learn from him how to live and die well. Because I would say, first of all, to see how Jesus dies teaches us to learn well. We can see that Jesus died how he lived all along. That when he takes his last breath, what has shaped his life up to this very moment now shapes his death. That Jesus was soaked in the Bible. His very last words are a quote of Psalm 31.5, into your hands I commit my spirit. That with his very last breath, he's quoting the Bible. Let's think about Jesus' life. When he's hungry, tired, and tempted in the wilderness, what does he do? He speaks the Bible back at Satan. When he gets up to preach his first sermon in his hometown in Nazareth, what does he do? Opens up the Bible. When he points to what, who he is and why he came, what does he do? He points to the Bible. When his opponents test him, what does he do? He quotes the Bible back at them. And now as he dies with his very last breath, what's on his lips? The Bible. You, just, you squeeze Jesus and the Bible comes out. You poke him, and the Bible comes out. You test him, and the Bible comes out. You kill him, and the Bible comes out. I mean, Jesus shows over and over and over again just how valuable and significant this is for our lives. He died how he lived. He also was committed to the Father's will, both in life and death. From beginning to end, Jesus had one goal for his life, to do the Father's will. It's, it's why the first words he speaks in the book of Luke are these words when his parents are looking for him and they find him in the temple. He says, why, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? It's why he says in John 5.30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And on the night before he's crucified, we hear him praying in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but 
yours be done. Jesus lived with a one-track mind, doing the Father's will who sent him. That he died how he lived, soaked in the Bible, and committed to God's will in his life. This is one of the benefits of staring death in the face. Because it can help us say, okay, if I'm going to die one day, then how do I want to live today? And Jesus shows us as he dies that how we live today will be how we die one day. That's a takeaway from this point and say that we should live how we want to die. That if we want to die confident that God holds our lives in his hand, then we should live that way today. That, that if we want to die committed to his will, then we should live that way today. That if we want to die with scripture on our lips, then we should live that way today. That if we want to die pointing our loved ones to Christ, then we should live that way today. I think it's really easy for us, myself included, to, to think if God wants me to do something or I feel like there's something I should do with my life or something he's calling me to, to kind of push that down the road and think, I'll get to that later. I'll change that later. There'll be time for that before I die. But Jesus shows us the decisions we make today and tomorrow and every day will shape how we one day die. And that if God is calling us to change something in our lives, he's calling us to do something in our lives, then, then we don't push it off thinking there'll be time for that later where we say, okay, God, I will follow you right now. I want to live how one day I'm going to die. I mean, everyone sooner or later, I think, asks the question, if, if I knew that I was going to die tomorrow or next week, how would I live differently today? It's, it's the premise of a popular country song that I'm sure probably all of you have heard because I feel like I've heard it and can quote it from memory and I don't even like country music. But it's Tim McGraw and he said it's a song, Live Like You're Dying. And it's the premise is that someone in this song gets a uh, terminal diagnosis and another person asks them, well, how'd that affect you? What would you do? How'd you live? And he responds, I want to sing this in my greatest southern accent, but I'll refrain. It says, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. What's Jesus answer the question? If I knew I was going to die someday, how should I live today? Listen to God's voice, follow his leading, and obey him right where you're at. What a relief in some ways. I don't have to go skydiving. You don't have to ride a bull named Fu Manchu to live like you're dying. To live like you're dying, to live a meaningful life every single day. Listen to God's voice, follow his leading, and obey him right where you are. And that's what it means to live well and then one day die well. Because that's what we find in Jesus all along. To, to see how Jesus died can also free us 
from fear. I think one of the reasons that we might fear death is because, or, or one of the reasons we might not want to think about it too, is because it's outside of our control, ultimately. It's outside of our control. And, and that, isn't that what lies kind of at the heart of all of our fears? That something bad and harmful might happen to us or our loved ones that's outside of our control to stop or change. That's how fear just kind of weighs us down, right? Whether that harm is lose my job or or lose a relationship or lose a loved one or lose a house and finances or anything. What, What if this happens? We fear what's outside our control. We fear what might be harmful that we can't stop or change. And the reality is there's some truth to this that there are harmful things that happen in our lives that we can't control. I mean, everyone knows this. Maybe you've experienced this even the past week. So how does Jesus' death free us from fear? How did Jesus' death free us from fear? I'm going to go at this in kind of a roundabout way, but, but I hope it's ultimately helpful for us to see how looking at his death can free us from fear in the present. First of all, as we look at his death, we see Jesus died according to God's timeline and will. Nothing happened to him that was outside of his and his father's will. Nothing happened to him that they didn't choose to have happen to him and when to have happen to him. This is why the wording of Jesus' death, maybe you picked up on this as we read through, is unique. In Luke and Mark, it says he breathed his last. Now he took his last breath. He breathed his last. And it's even more explicit in John and Matthew, where it says he gave up his spirit, or he yielded up his spirit. No one takes it from him. He gives it. This is why it says about his life earlier in John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Do you know that earlier in the book of Luke, people try to kill Jesus? That in Luke chapter 4, he gets up to preach in his hometown of Nazareth. And he, as he's speaking, says something that makes the crowd really angry. And so they grab onto him, they rush out of the synagogue, they run to the side of a cliff to throw him off it. And you know how that story ends? But passing through their midst, he went away. I mean, just just picture that scene. Like an angry crowd, several people are grabbing onto Jesus, they're running, they're yelling, they're at the edge of the cliff, and they look around and say, where's he at? Right? I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. Wait, wait, where'd he go? And it it, it didn't happen just once. This happened again in John chapter 8 and again in John chapter 10. Jesus was untouchable until he decided that they could touch him. I I think of, there's this iconic scene in the movie The Matrix. You don't have to watch the movie. But there's an iconic scene where there's a character who's literally bending over backwards dodging bullets. 
And part of why it's so iconic is because people look at that and they think, wouldn't that be awesome to be able to dodge bullets? Like to not be touched by them? To say, no, you're not going to touch me today? That's exactly what Jesus shows he can do over and over again. Death does not come knocking for him. Jesus is the one who knocks and walks through the door when he's good and well ready to. He's immortal until he chooses to die. And here's the reality of that. The same thing is now true of you and I in his hands and God's hands. That you and I are immortal until God's work with us is done and he says it's time. This is why Jesus is going to say in John 10, 28 through 29 about his followers, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Who can snatch them from my hand? No one. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Who can snatch them from his hand? No one. No one. Just as Jesus dies according to God's timeline and will, so also will you and I. This is why Erwin Lutzer says this about Jesus' death and our death. Jesus died according to the purposes of divine providence, not the whims of cowardly men. Just so you and I will die, not according to the will of cancer, not according to the will of an erratic drunk cruising along the highway, not according to the will of a painful disease. We will die under the good hand of God's providential care. We will pass through the curtain according to God's clock, not the timetable of random fate. I mean, we we don't have to fear death because we don't die apart from God's will. But we might think, maybe we think, "I, I don't fear death as much, maybe, but maybe we fear more what can happen to us between now and the day we die or what can happen to our loved ones, or what can happen to them after we die. And that is a heavy weight. I mean, those are real fears. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my loved ones? What's it going to be like for them? I mean, those are fears that can overwhelm us and drown us. And so it's why we then need to see as well Jesus died in the hands of his father. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I entrust everything in my life and now in my death into your hands. This is a beautiful scene. It's like a, a little boy who looks up at his daddy and says, Daddy, I'm scared. Hold me. Maybe Jesus isn't scared in this moment, but you get the picture. Daddy, hold me. Hold me in your hands right now. Jesus was confident that whatever happened in his life and death, he was held in the hands of a good father. And if our trust is in Christ, we can have the exact same hope and confidence for for whatever comes our way in this life. To be able to say, my life and death are held perfectly in God's hands. And his hands are the hands of a good, good 
father. Apart from this, fear runs rampant in our lives. But in this truth, we can rest. In this truth, we can talk back when we're afraid. There's a a book uh, called All the Light We Cannot See. And in it, the author tells the story of a a girl who uh, became blind at nine years old. It's a fiction story, but she became, became blind at nine years old. And she lived with her father in Paris, kind of on the brink of World War II. And her father's trying to uh, prepare her. Her father's trying to help her. And so part of what he's trying to teach her to do is to find her way home from any place in Paris back to their house, even though she's blind. And so he starts to take her out, and he'll put her down in some random street corner in Paris. And he'll say, okay, lead us home. Lead us home. And the first time he does this, you get this glimpse of how terrifying this is for this girl. She can't see anything. She doesn't know what's around the corner. She doesn't even know if the curb's in front of her or if she's about to step off onto the road. She hears cars whizzing by. She hears loud bangs out there. And she starts to feel overwhelmed and she she cries out, Papa! And right behind her in that instant comes a voice that says, I'm here. I'm one step behind you. And that's what we find gives her the confidence to be able to start walking. Not knowing what all lies in front of her, but to start walking because her father is right there, one step behind her. Isn't that a picture of how we feel in life at times? That's a picture of how I feel. I don't know what lies around the corner. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next week holds. And sometimes that is absolutely overwhelming. It feels like I'm just, I'm blind looking into darkness. And in those moments, we can say, Father, Father, into your hands, I commit my life. I commit this week. I commit my family. I commit what I'm terrified for. Father, and we can hear God saying, I'm right here. I'm with you. Not just I'm behind you, but you are held in my hands. And so is everything else that you and I might be terrified of. do Do you realize, do we realize that when we sing the words, you're a good, good father, we have a truth on our mouth that can speak to any and every fear that comes our way. Satan wants us to live in fear constantly. God wants us to live in the confidence that he's a good, good father who controls our life and death. And the way that we know just how good he is is by looking back to the cross. See, we should, if you're a Christian, we should talk back to our fears. That's a takeaway from this point. You were probably raised as a child told, never talk back to your parents, rightfully so. But I want to say for us, we can and should talk back to our fears. That when they attack us, when they assail us, when Satan tries to overwhelm us with all these what-ifs, that we should talk back. Say, I've got a good, good father, and he's going to take care of me. What, what, what if I don't have anything to say when I stand up in front of people? I've got a good, good father. He's not going to let me go. What if one day I, I get laid off? I've got a good, good father. He's provided for me. He will provide for me. 
What if one day I have a disease that takes over my body? I've got a good, good father, and he made my body, and he holds it in his hands. What's going to happen to my children? I've got a good, good father, and he loves them more than I do. I mean, talk back to fear, because fear has no hold on you if you're in Christ, on me if I'm in Christ. The, the cross does not just free us from the fear of God's punishment and his wrath, although it does that. It also frees us from the fear of everything else in this life because we're held in the hands of a good, good father. And then to see how Jesus died can teach us how to face death. Death feels tragic. I, I hope that you don't feel like I'm glossing over that this morning as we talk about this. Death absolutely feels tragic. Like, I don't know if there's anything else that makes us say deep down, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and to look at death simply from this side of it is to only see tragedy to see an abrupt end, a last goodbye, the cutting off of, of something beautiful. And the truth is that if this world and life in this world is all there is, death is always only a tragedy. And the words, that's you gone, but it was good while it lasted, wasn't it? feel like the cheapest and shallowest of comforts, if that's it. And, and through that lens, too, Jesus' death is an absolute tragedy. He's 33 years old. He had so much promise. And he dies shamefully and slowly. And, and he dies innocent of what he was even being put to death for. I mean, he's in the prime of his life. He could help so many people, heal so many people, and now he's gone? If, if this world and life in this world is all there is, Jesus' death is the greatest tragedy there ever was. The greatest tragedy there ever was. But Jesus' death was not ultimately a tragedy. And that's part of what he's trying to get us to see. Even in these words he prays as he dies, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's framing his death for us in a certain way. See, tradition has it that these very words, this very verse, Psalm 31.5, is a prayer that Jewish fathers and mothers would pray with their little boys or girls right before they went to sleep. That, that it's kind of like what we might pray today with children when we say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. So it's likely Jesus has prayed this prayer hundreds of times growing up. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And that it's the last thing he says before he closes his eyes. And then the next morning opens them back up. So what's he doing when he prays this prayer as his last words on the cross right before he takes his final breath? He says, 
I'm about to die now. I'm going to go to sleep. But I'm going to wake up again. And when I do, I'm going to be an unimaginable glory. Like Jesus' death is not a tragedy in his eyes. It is an absolute triumph. Jesus shows us that death isn't simply, and that's you gone, but it was nice while it lasted. He shows us it's the end of one chapter and the beginning of what one person calls eternal ecstasy. That is not a tragedy. That is the greatest of triumphs. And if our faith is in Christ, you can know, I can know that our death will not ultimately be a tragedy, but it will be a triumph. And if you haven't repented of sin, trusted in Christ to save you, I don't know a better reason than to do that today. In 2001, there was a missionary plane flying over the jungles of Peru that was shot down. Uh, the Peruvian Air Force mistake, mistook it for uh, a drug plane, and so they shot it down. And as they shot it down, on board was a mother and her seven-month-old daughter, and a bullet passed through them and killed them both. And she left behind her husband and a six-year-old son named Corey. I hear that and I think, that's an absolute tragedy. What could be worse than that? Like, that is an absolute tragedy. At their funeral, one of, the pers- one of the people who spoke was Steve Saint, who's the son of Nate Saint. A- and he, his father, you might know, is one of the five people who died in the jungles of Ecuador in 1956 when he was speared to death. And at that time, Steve was about the same age as Corey, about six years old. And so when he got up to speak, he spoke directly to Corey while also speaking to everyone else. And he said these words, Corey, my name is Steve. You know what? A long time ago, when I was just about your size, I was in a meeting just like this. I was sitting down there, and I didn't really know what was going on. But you know, now I understand it better. A lot of adults used a word then that I didn't understand. They used a word that's called a tragedy. But you know, now I'm kind of an old guy. And now when people come to me and they say, oh, I remember when that tragedy happened so long ago, I know, Corey, that they were wrong. You see, my dad, who was a pilot, and four of his really good friends had just been buried out in the jungles. And my mom told me that my dad was never coming home again. My mom wasn't really that sad. So I asked her, where did my dad go? And she said, he went to live with Jesus. And you know, that's where my mom and dad had told me that we all wanted to go live. Well, I thought, isn't that great? that daddy got to go sooner than the rest of us. And you know what? Now when people say that was a tragedy, I know they were wrong. If we are in Christ, trusting in him, death will not ultimately be a tragedy. We will close our eyes, and when we open them up, we will be an 
unimaginable glory, and the one waiting there to welcome us in will be the Father. We can face death with confident expectation if this is true. Think about, think about how Paul talks about death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I mean, Paul looks death in the eyes and he starts trash-talking it. He says, death, you can't guard me. You can't stop me. I don't lose in Christ. It's why he says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Talks like that. Someone who really believes death is gain. Death is triumph. Death is the beginning of unimaginable life. Why? Because of Jesus. Do we, do we believe that? I have to ask, do I believe that? Not always, but I want to believe that. Like I want to believe that, to look out at the one day that I'm going to die and say, yes, that will be sad. Yes, that will be difficult. And let's not gloss over that. But also, it will be the greatest day of our lives if we're in Christ. That, that's what the gospel would tell us. I love this past week I was in my car and I was driving and I was listening to something from John Piper as he was talking about how we handle the fear of death or thinking about death. And he said something that I just like literally started pumping my fist to. He said these words, instead of trying to stop thinking about death, every time that that thought comes into your head, say to death, Go ahead, death. Make my day. What? Who talks like that? Someone who really believes to live is Christ. If I stay alive, great. I'm going to honor Christ with my body. And to die is gain. How vastly different than a view of life and death that simply says, and it was good while it lasted, wasn't it? See, God is forever committed to you and I in life and death. If you look at the cross and you say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to do the work. I need you to forgive me. And my hope and my confidence is all in you. Then we can be confident that God is fully committed to us in life and death, that we are held in his hands, that no matter what comes our way, he won't let us go, and he'll see us through death. And when we die, he'll be the first one waiting on the other side with arms wide open. But we know that there, there are things in this life that make us question, is God really that committed to me? Is he really that committed to me? Because this happened and that happened and that happened. Is God really that committed to me? And when we ask that question, we need to look back to the cross and remember what happened there. Remember that Jesus was condemned so I could be forgiven. That Jesus was treated as a criminal so that I could live in paradise with him forever. That he was cut off from his family 
so that you and I could be welcome into his family. That, that he was forsaken so that we could be loved and accepted. That he suffered alone so that we'll never suffer alone. That he drank our curse so that we drink deeply of his blessing. That he finished the greatest and most difficult work ever so that you and I can say as well, it is finished and rest in that. And here's the reality. God did all of that for us before we took even our first breath. And so if he did that, he'll be just as committed to us when we take our final breath. And he'll open up his arms and say, welcome home. Father, help us even now as we look ahead to next week, Easter week, and sing this song about the resurrection to declare your victory and to remember because you are victorious. So are we in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.